0: Every haunted place has a story with a dark past. This is Ghost Encounters Podcast. Due to the graphic and violent things discussed on this episode, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, all you spooky people, to the 11th episode of the second season of Ghost Encounters Podcast. I am Paranormal Investigator Justin Torok.
1: And I'm Jordan, the group scientist.
0: We are back, everyone. I hope everyone had a uh, great holiday. We had a bit of a break. Things got a little hectic around the holidays. Some people were sick and holidays were spread out, but uh, we are back to finish off the second half of the second season. I am very excited for this half, too, because we've got some pretty cool stuff planned, especially this episode, too.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a, a doozy.
0: <laughs> so, uh, a while ago, Jordan kept telling me about this weird story about these Russian hikers who were hiking in the uh, Ural Mountains, went missing, and their bodies were discovered. They were all, like, mutilated, and I was intrigued. She was intrigued. And this story sparked so many conspiracy theories throughout decades. This happened back in 1959. This episode, we're talking about Dyatlov's Pass incident. In 1959, ten Russian hikers set out on the trek of a lifetime through the Ural Mountains. After one left, the remaining nine pitched a tent and settled for the night. Hours later, all nine fled the safety of the tent and perished in the freezing snowy conditions. Some in the party succumbed to hypothermia, but others were found with grisly injuries. When the search party finally found the bodies of the missing hikers in the Ural Mountains, the scene was so horrifying and so confounding that it would inspire conspiracy theories for decades to come. Frozen corpses, strange injuries, missing body parts, and curious levels of radiation. Each discovery was more perplexing than the next. Who or what killed nine young and extremely experienced hikers on the slopes of Dead Mountain in western Siberia in 1959. Before we get into the story, just so we can paint a picture of how these bodies were found and give a reason as to why this was so strange, let's go through all their names, their ages, what wounds they had, and their cause of death. Before we say these names, I apologize. We may not be saying some of these (laughs) correctly. We are not Russian, but we are going to try our best to pronounce these as accurately as possible. I am giving off the names to Jordan to pronounce because I think she'll do a better job than I can.
1: Okay. So the first person that we're going to talk about um, is the leader who is 23. His name is Igor Dyatlov.
0: Yeah, he was kind of the leader of this whole group, and that is why this incident and this passageway in the Ural Mountains is now called Dyatlov's Pass, and he had abrasions on his ankles and wrists, um, also abrasions on his forehead, his cheeks, uh, scratches on his palms, and lots of bruising and abrasions around his hands, mostly on his fists. And his cause of death, according to the autopsy report, is hypothermia.
1: Yeah, so Igor Dyatlov was apparently a badass, and he was so quick to, like, make good decisions for the group. There was a story that I read up about him that they were somewhere hiking, um, and he had told everybody to, like, get together in a big group because there were wild horses, like, coming towards them. So on the fly, while there's however many freaking wild ponies coming at him, he was like, everybody get in a circle, and, like, saved them from being trampled by these horses. Wow! So he was, like, really good on his feet. So if they
0: were spread out, they'd probably get trampled, but the horses would see them as, like, one big collective thing and not, like, run into them. So
1: he apparently just had, like, really good leadership
0: skills. All of these people are... Extremely smart. I mean some of them were, like built radios from scratch. I mean they, they went to a very good college. Um, they were one of them graduated studying like engineering and yeah. hydraulics. Like these yeah. were Insane. not these were a really smart group of kids. Yeah. And they knew what they were doing. This isn't their first hike. This yeah. is not their first rodeo yeah, definitely doing something not. like yeah. this. They were doing this skiing slash hiking trek through the snowy Ural Mountains. They've done all this before.
1: Yeah. This was know? not the first time that they went off the grid and went on their own. Like, people were used to them going on these hikes, these kinds of hikes.
0: Right. And they were doing this because, I guess if you do it so many times, like you were telling me, you get, like, different levels of yeah this prestige of being this crazy hiker, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: So, basically, they were out to do this trip to become the best of the best, basically. And... It, to think about coming, becoming the best of the best in your 20s is insane to me. Yeah. Like, you are literally about to be the most badass hiker on the planet at 23 years old or 21 years old. Yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy. So they knew what they were doing when they went on okay. this trip.
0: Uh, obviously, he also had frostbite on a lot of his body. I am just... I'm going to leave out the frostbite because, of course, every single one of these people we're about to mention all had frostbite in various places on their body. I don't think I really have to mention it. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Um, the reason why they died of hypothermia and they had all this frostbite because when they found these bodies, they were missing shoes. They were missing their jackets. They were missing their hats. Two of them were found with like just their underwear. Yeah. And they're in the snowy mountains. We're talking negative 15, 20 degrees Celsius. And they're out without their gear, without clothes. So no wonder they died of hypothermia and yeah. frostbite, you know?
1: So the next person is Yuri Doroshenko. He was 21 years old.
0: This one's very curious because his hair was burned on the right side of his head. His face, like, you know, his ears, nose, lips, everything was, like, covered in blood. Um, His fingers had cuts. There was bruising on both his upper legs, his right forearm, his right armpit, and left inner shoulder. Very strange, especially if they had none of their clothes on, but yet he has burns on him. Like, that's kind of strange, and, you know, and he, of course, according to the autopsy, died of. Hypothermia.
1: hypothermia. Yeah. So the first female of the group that is in our notes right now is Ludmila Dubenina, who was 20 years old.
0: And again, this one becomes very perplexing because she had a crushed chest, broken ribs, she had missing eyes and a missing tongue.
1: Yeah, that is bizarre to me.
0: And according to the people that looked at everything, her entire chest wasn't crushed. It was just the upper top portion almost as if something fell on her or if someone stomped on her. And it was crushed so bad, she died from internal bleeding from the severe chest trauma. Actually, one of her ribs punctured a part of her heart, and that's why she died. And in order to have that much force, literally the autopsy person said, it would have to be the force from like a fast-moving truck to do yeah. this to your upper rib cage.
1: Okay, so next we have Yuri Kravonashenko, who was 23 years old.
0: Here's another one that had a burn. He had a burn on his left leg, Um, bruising on his forehead, right chest, both hands, left arm, left leg. Um, Another one that had ankles and wrists um, had abrasions. When I talk about these ankles and wrists had abrasions, it's almost as if, like, they were tied up with something. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it's described and how it kind of shows, that they were tied up with some kind of tether or rope or something. Um... He had a small chunk of skin missing on his left hand. But that I'm not we're not talking about a huge chunk of skin. Small. But it was found in his mouth.
1: Oh. And I will explain what I was drawing on his hand?
0: If he was tied up, perhaps. Interesting. Um and his cause of death was hypothermia.
1: Okay, so next we have Alexander Kolvatov, who was twenty four years old.
0: This one's pretty gruesome. He had a deformed neck. Ooh. A broken nose missing eyebrows and we're not just talking the hair we're talking like the skin around the, like around the eyebrows they had gone oh my gosh and an open wound behind his ear before i mean we're going to get into this and the, the main theory that people propose was there was like an avalanche or something but how are you going to have an open wound behind your ear do you ear?
1: have a tracker in his ear <laughs> that's where my mind goes <laughs> government conspiracy
0: there's a <laughs> lot of conspiracies we're going to talk about Uh, In the second half. But, uh, you know, that's one of them. Yeah, but Um, definitely
1: if there's an avalanche, I don't think that the wound would just randomly cut behind his ear. There's another theory
0: that someone proposed about this, but I'll get into that in the the second half.
1: So next we have another female named Zenaida Komogorova, who is 22 years old.
0: She did not have too much bad with her. She uh, had bruises on her hands and palms. Um, some abrasions on her her hands and a large bruise on her right side and her cause of death was hypothermia
1: Alright, so next we have Rustam Slobodin who is 23
0: years old This one's a bit of a doozy He had a skull fracture abrasions on his forehead um, swelling and a lot of small abrasions of irregular shape on the right half of his face Uh, Abrasions on the left side of his face, cuts on his right forearm, bruising on his hands, and some more abrasions, um, and more bruising on the left arm, his cause of death was hypothermia. Dang,
1: the skull fracture's the one that stands out. So next we have Nikolai Thibault Brignoles, who is 23 years old.
0: This death is a bit different than the others. This one, he had a caved-in skull. Oh,
1: jeez.
0: A hemorrhage in the lower forearm and bruising on his upper lip area. His cause of death was the fatal skull injury. Jeez. His skull was crushed.
1: Oh my gosh. So next we have Alexander Zolotaryov, who was 37 years old.
0: He was the older one out of the group. Um, he came in kind of I wouldn't want to say last minute, but near the tail end to like before you have to say yes, I'm coming. He asked to go along. Um, there's a lot of speculation on why he was with this group of people because they didn't. I don't think they knew him before this. Yeah. He graduated from the same college, so he's done this these kind of this kind of hike before. Um, but I think he was like this was his last trek that he needed to get like that final top yeah. level thing. So that's why he wanted to come along. But of course, there's going to be speculation based on his past history and stuff like that why he was on this trip. Um, this death is also a little bit different. He had a crushed chest, broken ribs, just like the one lady. He was missing eyes, and he died of severe chest trauma.
1: So lastly, we have Yuri Yudin, who is 21 years old.
0: Yeah, he is the quote-unquote survivor. Um, he made it through partway of the trip, um, but before like the final trek um, away from any kind of civilization at all, uh, he had to leave due to, I believe it was his sciatica that was flaring yeah, up. Yeah,
1: he had like bad back, like a yeah. bad back. So he problems. had to make the knee problems. The
0: hard choice of continuing on this trip with his friends or actually hightail it back and make the make the trek back to um, civilization. And unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for him, that decision saved, saved his, his life. life.
1: Yeah, and he lived a long life you know, for back in the 50s, like, or like, late 50s, lived until he was 75
0: years old. When did he die? He died in
1: 2013, April 27th,
0: 2013. Wow, 75. There was an interview done with him, and he said, if I could ask God one question, it would be, what happened to my friends? Aw, that's sad. Yeah. So now we know all their names. Um,
1: Thank God that's How old we're they were.
0: <laughs> um what kind of injuries they had, what they died from, according to the autopsy report. Um, So now we're gonna go through kind of the timeline of events of how this all came about. Now this was a very fun group of young adults. They were very lively, they seemed very happy. The cameras that they had were found with their belongings and you can actually see these photos online. It's just photos of them. It looks like a happy fun group of friends. Like
1: And in most of them they're all smiling.
0: Yeah, like in every picture they're all smiling, smiling they're having fun. They're doing some silly stuff. Like they're seeming like they're they're literally having the trip of a lifetime being together.
1: Yeah.
0: On this ski hike.
1: Yeah.
0: So the trip begins and the party left uh, Sverdlovsk by train on January 23rd. Several of them uh, actually hid under seats <laughs> to avoid buying tickets. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. They were in very high spirits. Um, On a layover between trains to get to their next destination, um, Krivonashenko was briefly detained by police for playing his mandolin and uh, trying to panhandle on the train station. (laughs) Apparently he couldn't do that. Um, And the group actually ended up, like, going to the police and pleading to have him released. And this is something you don't do in Russia now, but this is something you definitely do not do in Russia back then. Yeah. Um, Like, you did not want to talk to the police. You did not try to plead with the police. This is something you didn't do because they could have just arrested the other kids right on the spot for trying to do that. But luckily these police officers must have been having a good day because they let him go.
1: Maybe they enjoyed his mandolin playing.
0: Maybe. But didn't want to admit it. Apparently he was a very good mandolin player. (laughs) And I would have loved to hear it. So after two days of being on trains, the party finally reached Evedel, a remote town. From there, the group traveled another day by bus And then on the back of a woodcutter's truck, and finally by ski, and uh, guided by uh, horse-drawn sleigh um, by some locals, Um, they helped, like, you know, carry their gear and stuff by horse-drawn sleigh to help them out because they were about to get to the the part where you can't do that, and the gear is kind of heavy.
1: It literally just shows you, like, what kind of land that they were working with. They're riding in a fucking sleigh to get to where they need to start a hike. Exactly. Like, you're, you're off the grid. They're about to be going completely off the grid here. Oh,
0: completely off the grid. Then they slept in an abandoned uh, logging camp called Second Northern. Uh, this is where Yuri Udin leaves. This is where his sciatica flared up, and it caused him to pull out of the trip. They were all very sad. They did not. Want to, he did not want this to happen. They did not want this to happen. So, you know, there's a lot of crying and hugging, but this is what he had to do because there's no way he could have made the rest of the trip
1: and sciatic nerve pain is like ridiculous it hurts it hurts oh especially yeah. if you like have it as bad as apparently he did like some people get like minimal like sciatic nerve yeah. flare-ups but then there's like people that have to get nerve blockers for that yeah. nowadays yeah
0: so and when you're on a ski hike like this in this kind of terrain you can only go as fast and as well as your slowest person yeah because you can't part too far from one another yeah. So they would have had to, you know, he would have slowed them down a lot, and maybe he couldn't even have walked at some point. So yeah, exactly. It really was the best option, not just for that, but because this option, of, like we said, saved his life. So he pulled back on um, January 28th, and the remaining nine set off toward the mountains. So their ultimate plan at the end of this uh, treacherous hike through the snowy mountains was to end up at the tiny village of Vajai around February 12th. And what they were supposed to do was telegram the UPI sports club that they had arrived safely, but as we know, that expected telegram never came. According to the diaries and cameras that were retrieved from the ill-fated campsite, the hikers began to move through the pass on the morning of February 1st. Their goal was to set up camp for the night on the other side, but they kind of lost their bearings because of a snowstorm and poor visibility and ended up further west on the eastern slope of Kolatsikal. Rather than backtracking to set up camp in a forested area just under a mile um, down, the team opted to dig and cut into the slope and pitch their tents, um, right there for the night. Uh, you did speculated that uh Dyatlov, the team leader, likely didn't want to lose the altitude they had gained during that day and that's kinda why they did that. So instead of backtracking down the slope a mile, you just like, Screw it, we'll pitch tent right here and pick up in the morning.
1: But this also just shows how capable and how much they thought things out because they dug into the slope, which is to help with the wind that was going to hit that tent. Right. Which goes to that catabatic wind theory that's going right. to be coming up. And I'm
0: sure this isn't the first time that this option has come about through their many hikes and stuff like that. Yeah. So it was definitely well thought out. Yeah. You know, he, they just didn't want to lose that time.
1: Which I wouldn't blame them, especially when you're in the kind of conditions that you're in. Right. You Who know?
0: wants to backtrack a mile down and in, in the morning go back up another mile yeah. right where you just were. So I understand they Reasoning for not wanting to do that, but after there was no telegram, no one showing up anywhere um, Friends and family started like going crazy as the days went on and Family members and friends like everyone started calling and wondering where they are and finally they Requested a search and rescue party and it wasn't out of the ordinary for them to like be late a day or two but Time went on way too far without hearing from any of them. So finally, um, the relatives requested a search and rescue party. On February 20th, a search was launched. There were several search parties uh, involving student volunteers from UPI, uh, prison guards from the uh, Idvel camp, uh, Mansi hunters. Now, the Mansis are a um, native tribe to the Ural Mountain area. Um, we're going to talk about them a lot more when the conspiracies and stuff come come up because they were actually questioned and whether or not they had something to do with the missing group of kids. Evidently, they're actually, like, very nice people. Obviously, they're helping with, you know, the search. Yeah. And they know this area. They know how to get through the Snowy Mountains and stuff like that, you know. Um, local police helped. Um, military deployed planes and helicopters. A lot of people are searching for them. Yeah. On February 25th, the students uh, that were helping found uh, ski tracks. And the next day, they discovered the tent. It was above the tree line that we mentioned before on the remote mountain that Soviet officials referred to as Height 1079. And at the Mansi called Kolat Sikal, or Dead Mountain.
1: Oh, well, that's freaking weird.
0: Right? I know.
1: I didn't hear that until just now.
0: Never more aptly named.
1: Yeah. It's like, why did, why did we have to find you here? It almost like is like... Honestly,
0: they had to f- find the dead bodies on Dead Mountain.
1: Yeah, that's creepy.
0: Yeah. Uh, they, when they found the tent, there's no one inside. The tent was partially collapsed. Um, some of it was covered in some snow. After investigating, the search party saw the tent appeared to have been deliberately slashed in several places. Yet inside, everything was neat and orderly. The skiers' boots, axes, and other equipment were arranged on either side of the door. Food was laid out as if they were about to eat. Um, there was a stack of wood for a heating stove, clothes, um, the cameras that they had, and their journals. Can so, you imagine
1: how like, like creepy that would be to see? Like even right. for other students to go up to this abandoned tent and look in and see like these people literally dead ass just disappeared. Like, that right. would be so ominous to see. Like, But not
0: only that, Like, you have to think, oh my god, all of their boots are inside the tent. Yeah. Most of their clothes are inside the tent. So that means wherever they are, they have barely any clothes on in these conditions. Yeah, and no boots. Like,
1: I feel like when they saw that there was stuff left in there, like boots and They knew clothes, something they went, went down. Knew, and, yeah. They, yeah, they probably knew that at this point it's not a rescue mission. We're just finding bodies. Yeah. Like, we're just literally recovering.
0: About 100 feet downhill, the search party found very distinct footprints of eight or nine people walking, not running, toward the tree line. Almost all the prints were of stocking feet and some even bare. The party followed the prints downhill for six to 700 yards until they vanished near the tree line. Now, it's weird that they didn't find the bodies right away because they followed the tracks, but maybe it was like too late in the day. Um, but the next morning, searchers found the bodies of Krivinshenko and Doroshenko under a tall cedar tree at the edge of the forest. They were lying next to a dead fire, wearing only underwear. Oh. That's it. Twelve to fifteen feet up the tree were some recently broken branches, and uh, torn clothes were found scattered around. Later that day, a search party discovered the bodies of uh, Dyatlov and both were further up the slope, facing in the direction of the tent, their fists tightly clenched. It's almost as if they seem to try to get back to their yeah. campsite.
1: Yeah, and like I said earlier, seeing those pictures of them, they look they to me they almost look scarier than the other ones that we're later gonna talk
0: about. Yeah, how we found them. Anyone can look up these autopsy photos, they have them, And you can look you can look up the photos from their camera. You can even read Russian. You can read their journal entries. They have all of it. Um, and you can see the autopsy photos. They're horrifying. Yeah. Slobodin was discovered a few days later. Uh, like Dyatlov and uh, Komogorova, uh, Slobodin was on the slope leading back to the tent. But four bodies remained missing. And while they were looking for those other four bodies, obviously autopsies were being done. They were still searching. Um, I mean, they were doing a lot of tests and trying to figure out what possibly could have happened? Um, I think during this time, back then they thought the tent was slashed from the inside, but today's researchers look at look at the fibers and think that the tent was slashed from the outside.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay.
0: Yeah, but in all the research, the strange thing is like they mention a lot of things about their belongings. They even mention that. A flashlight was placed neatly on top of the collapsed tent.
1: Yeah, I did read that. Like, there was like, weird stuff that's around weird, the tent. weird,
0: but no one mentions anything at all about finding a knife or a blade. Yes, they had a hatchet. They had a hatchet to cut down wooden stuff. And I'm assuming if you're on a hike like this, you probably have a, a pocket knife or something. But there's no mention at all about finding any kind of knife or blade.
1: So I, while I was doing research, I actually heard that like the people that showed up some of the people were like not on candy bars and stuff like that and they were kind of like, yo, where'd you get those candy bars? And like people admitted that they like took them from the campsite. Oh, so they were tampering with like... Evidence. Yeah, already. Jesus. So I'm like, who's not to say that they didn't pocket shit as they were doing stuff? Right. Like if they really didn't care enough, like it's as if they're like, oh, these kids are definitely dead. Like I'm just gonna do what I want. Well, either
0: that or it's like, oh, we're gonna find them. Like they're not gonna like, it's alright if I eat these candy. Yeah, I, yeah. I
1: don't know. It was stupid either way. You shouldn't be touching yeah, shit. No. Yeah.
0: At this time... A lot of people, well, the authorities were saying avalanche, avalanche, avalanche. It was an avalanche because they saw them they saw the kids were bruised and you know cut up. Then they said avalanche. But all the people that were there who have done this hike before, like the other students and the other like um people that have done these kinds of hikes, even the Mancy people, they all said the same thing. There was no evidence that a Avalanche had occurred. Yeah, I actually have that in my notes.
1: Yeah, that, and especially in that area, apparently avalanches like weren't a big thing because the slope actually wasn't that steep. Like to go for an avalanche to just go straight down and actually have enough to slide all the way down and hit where they were. So, like in my research, I found that they were like, it literally doesn't make sense that that would be what happened.
0: Right. So you have the authority saying avalanche, but you have the experts saying, "Hey, you're wrong." There's There's no evidence of an avalanche. Yeah, like You can still see the footprints. Yeah, they were a little bit snow-covered, but there were still footprints that you could make out.
1: But if you had a freaking avalanche coming flying down... You wouldn't have seen any footprints. Honestly, you probably wouldn't have even seen the The tent. tent. The tent would have just traveled.
0: That's another thing. They um, developed all these photos from their camera, and one of the last photos is of that campsite, of that tent. And you see these ski poles sticking up outside the tent. And when you look at the pictures... Of, from the, That the search party took of the tent, those ski poles are still there, yeah. sticking in the snow.
1: An avalanche is just going to leave the ski poles in right. place. Right, exactly. Yeah, nah, bullshit.
0: So four bodies were still missing, and they actually didn't find them until early May, when the snow began to melt. A uh, mancy hunter and his dog came across the remains of a makeshift snow den in the woods, 250 feet from the cedar tree and there was like there was even like a floor made of branches so someone so a few of these kids were alive long enough to actually make this makeshift snow den
1: yeah that's crazy it's just like like we said before it just shows like the resilience these kids had oh yeah these young kids they
0: knew what to do they were smart and they were very tough another search team arrived and using what they call avalanche probes um which i think is just pretty much like a long pole with like a Minor hook at the end. Um, they started probing around the snow den and they brought up a piece of flesh. So then the excavation began and uncovered the four remaining victims lying together in a rocky stream bed under at least 10 feet of snow. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they were actually under a big pile of snow. So I can understand more reasoning why there would be an avalanche, but things are really not right. Yeah. Yeah. The autopsy revealed the catastrophic injuries that we mentioned above um, to three of them. Um, Thibaut's skull was fractured severely. Um, pieces of bone was actually even driven to his brain. Oh my god. Uh, Zolotaryov and Dubonina had the crushed chests, multiple broken ribs. The autopsy reports um, the massive hemorrhage in the right ventricle of Dubonina's heart from the um, chest being crushed. Um and like I said before the medical examiner said in order to do this damage it was similar to what he've seen at the as a result of like an automobile moving at a high impact hitting someone. Yeah. Yet none of the bodies had any external or like yeah they had a few cuts and stuff like that but they didn't have any like massive external penetrating wounds. Even but the other crazy thing was Zolotarov and Dumanina's eyes were missing and Dumanina's tongue was missing. They don't say whether or not it's a chunk of the tongue or if it's the whole tongue. The autopsy report just says her tongue is missing. And the authorities want to say the eyeballs and the tongue being missing was due to, like, rodents and animals, but they found blood in Dumanina's stomach, which means her tongue was lost while she was alive.
1: alive. Yeah. My thing is, is that... If they were under 10 feet of snow and the other ones that they found first were not really under that much snow, why weren't their eyes missing? Why wasn't their tongue missing? You know what I mean? Like, that's what throws up red flags about this thing and it's so intriguing to learn about because it's just mind-blowing. It is. Like, these people literally had their eyes plucked out. Obviously, people first think, oh, yeah, it's rodents. Oh, it's animals. But then you have... Outlaw found laying in between the two locations, literally sticking out of the snow, and he it looks like he just died frozen solid. Yeah. It's bizarre to yeah. me. Just had this to whole
0: thing is there. bizarre. And now <laughs> it's about to get even more bizarre. Everyone knew that definitely these kids were fighting something or someone. Yeah,
1: it made because no sense. Because there's no
0: way these wounds would appear... From an avalanche. The authorities, of course, wanted to say avalanche, avalanche, avalanche. But everyone else was like, no. <laughs> no way. <laughs> you know? So even already when they started finding these bodies, conspiracy theories were flooding out of people's mouths. And there was talk of government involvement and all that kind of stuff. So the bodies that were found months later were put into lead boxes and helicoptered out because they were afraid of radiation. So
1: I actually have a note about that that people say it was lead boxes because of radiation but in reality they also had them in zinc like coffins.
0: Zinc coffins.
1: Because zinc actually helps with like biological agents. So oh. like the the pilots they know pretty much mostly about what's going on. Like they knew yeah. that they were going to pick up people that died they didn't know how they died so naturally right. this pilot was like i'm not getting in the plane with these people <laughs> if they died of if like they could a possibly disease. have radiation yeah. on or something yeah. yeah so i found that really interesting that these pilots were basically like red flag i don't even know yeah what kind of shit they've seen before this <sighs> right to say you need to put them in a special little casket right. before they kill me they, you know they, that's they've wild. definitely
0: seen some shady shit before yeah that. yeah After careful inventory of clothing recovered from the bodies, revealed that some of these victims were wearing clothes taken or cut off of other bodies. Basically, the ones that were found months later, they ended up taking clothing and stuff off of their friend's dead bodies in order to help stay alive. Imagine that. Your friend is literally dead, and you have to make the decision to take clothing off of them. To survive.
1: I'm like and my thing is is that we're talking about twenty year olds to twenty like three, twenty four year olds. Like, could you imagine being twenty one and literally seeing a dead person and taking their clothes off to survive? I can't. Like no, that's insane to go through that at that young of an age and to like yeah. probably be scared for your life. But it
0: shows you the resilience of these kids. Yeah. They were tested, the clothing was tested, and the laboratory found that several items uh, emitted unnatural high levels of radiation. The most, the piece of clothing that had the most radiation was a sweater that was wrapped around Dumanina's feet. But that sweater belonged to Yuri Krivonishenko. And I'm going to explain why in a little bit. But imagine that. She literally had to take the sweater off of her friend and wrap it around her feet. She had no boots. Yeah.
1: I mean, her feet were probably, like, my feet are cold right now, and I'm sitting in a heated building, so I can't imagine the pain. I
0: cannot imagine what these kids went through, and to have to make these decisions and see your friends and just, like, fight for survival, it's horrifying. Yeah, it's
1: absolutely horrifying what
0: they had to go through. And the fact that now radiation is being pulled into this, it's just, it's everyone is shouting out conspiracy theories and, and I nothing is like, adding up
1: and you know me I am not into conspiracy theories like whenever Taylor's boyfriend brings up conspiracy theories I want to choke him <laughs> out because I'm just like nah that's madness like I go more out of like a scientifical like approach right. I believe in science and when you're reading this it's hard to believe in science like it's like This makes no sense. Like, it it literally makes your mind go to a completely different realm.
0: 100%.
1: It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, let's freeze there, and we're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we're going to truck our way through some of these conspiracy theories. The Spooky Shop is now open for Ghost Encounters merch. Visit ghost-encounters.com and click on Spooky Shop. This episode is brought to you by The Colony Meadery. If you haven't tried mead yet, it's alcohol made from honey, and it's the fastest-growing alcoholic beverage in the United States. It's all-natural, totally gluten-free, and delicious. And one of the best meaderies in the world is right here in the Lehigh Valley. Stop in and try a flight of meads, grab some bottles or cans to go, and experience some of the best booze in the world. They've got flavors ranging from tart and quaffable lemon laws and Wu-Tang crayon, to cinnamon vanilla series of tubes, and even the sweet heat of their mango habanero. Learn more at either location or at colonymeadery.com. Ghost Encounters podcast and show is sponsored by Phoenix Fire Media. Bring the heat to your online presence with their expert social media marketing, photography, and video productions. Visit phoenixfiremedia.com. If all you spooky people are enjoying the Ghost Encounters podcast, hit subscribe and give us five stars. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok At Ghost Encounters, PA. To watch full episodes of the Ghost Encounters show, visit ghost (laughs) encounters.com. And we are back. I just turned up the heat because I was cold just reading about these, these poor kids. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump into some of the theories that have came about as to what happened to them. I mentioned the Mansi people before, and there is the Mansi theory. Early on, it was theorized by Soviet authorities that the Dyatlov party may have been killed by the Mansi, an indigenous people of the region. The idea that the hikers were slaughtered for straying onto sacred land or perhaps a part of a shamanic ritual or maybe they touched a sacred object persisted for some time much was made about the presence of a mansi chum or dwelling in the close vicinity of the hiker's tent as i said before all of their cameras were found and they developed all the film and in some of the pictures you see Mansi carvings in the tree. Um, There's even pictures of these like Mansi chums or dwellings and uh, you know rock formations. And so it's very apparent that the Mansi people are in this area and have used this area. Yeah. I'm gonna read uh, a passage from uh, Zenaida's uh, diary. We often see Mansi signs on the trail. I wonder what they write about.
1: Oh, so they didn't they couldn't even read them so no, they wouldn't it's even their, know if it's it said a, warning or yeah, anything it's
0: uh, it's in their own language then she goes on to say mansi writings appear on trees all sorts of obscure mysterious characters now this theory has been debunked as there was a misunderstanding about the mansi culture and rituals apparently they don't have any sacred objects they don't necessarily have sacred land they have Prayer locations, um, but they don't consider any of these areas as sacred. Oh, okay. Um, and they're not a violent culture. Now, this was proposed back, you know, in 1959. So, in the 1930s, the Russians came into this area and treated the Mansi people terribly. They pretty much said you have to succumb to our ways if you do any of your rituals or prayers or anything you will be arrested and they were treated very badly.
1: Sounds like, very communist Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was very bad. So the Mansi hated the Russians for a long time but now we're talking, you know, 30 years later, they're not going to kill Russian people going through the mountain yeah. just for going through the mountain. People do this hike a lot. So yeah. So it's you know, And I know they were off path a bit, but it's very unlikely that they were off path so much that they entered some kind of sacred land in yeah. the snow. And, and when you read
1: about these people, you don't hear anything about them being violent no. or there murderous. Is, there was is or... not
0: one record ever yeah. of Manti people killing anybody.
1: So why would they just all of a sudden grab right. their like weapons and exactly. just start beating on kids? Uh, like... But of
0: course, the authorities are going to look to the indigenous people. Yeah, as, diverse, as always. You know?
1: Have you watched Avatar? Duh. <laughs>
0: Then there's the espionage theory. Two members of the Dyatlov group have been the focus of this particular speculation. Why was Zoloterov, a 37-year-old veteran of World War II, attached to the group of young students? Furthermore, it is significant that a few years earlier, Yuri Krivonishenko helped clear up a radioactive leak at a secret Soviet nuclear facility, an incident which has since been compared to the Chernobyl disaster. He studied construction and hydraulics at UPI University, graduated 1957. While working at Chelyabinsk-40, a secret nuclear facility, he experienced a disaster that became known as the Krishnam Disaster. On September 29th, 1957, the plutonium plant experienced a radioactive leak. Yuri Krivanoshenko was among the people who was sent to clean it up. This radioactive leak was insanely covered up by the Russians. They did not want anyone at all knowing that this happened. They didn't want the, their people to know, other authorities to know, this was covered up crazily by the Russians. And covered up so well that it wasn't until years later that people even knew about this.
1: I mean, I don't even know about it. (laughs) A lot of
0: people have never heard about it, and it's even compared to the Chernobyl disaster.
1: Which is a big-ass deal. So it's surprising that nobody even really talks about this. But
0: here we have Yuri, and we're talking 1959. We're not talking today's safety regulations and suits. We're talking 1959. So I know he was smart, but it's very possible that he probably came in contact with some of the radiation.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Now, according to the theory... Zolotarov and Krivonishenko uh, were working for the KGB and had joined the Dyatlov Trek to rendezvous with CIA agents in the Ural Mountains. While handing over radioactive materials and fake nuclear secrets, the Russians were supposed to take photos of the American agents. The theory goes that the CIA men got wise to what was going on, leading to a fight breaking out and the eventual massacre of the Dyatlov party
1: an interesting theory. It's a
0: very interesting theory but this very is... Very complex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the one that brings in the you know, radioactivity that they found on some of the clothing. Interesting. And people always wonder, why was this older guy who was a veteran of World War II amongst this party? Yeah, I mean, but when
1: you're reading about that, that's definitely like... Um, it's kind of weird. Why are you there? Like? But,
0: yeah, why there? Who? What CIA agent is going to meet them on the snowy slopes of Dead Mountains?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? I I don't know. It's I could That's, see why people are like, oh, this is like a plausible theory, but me I'm just like no, nah, mm, it's
0: I think it's a little it's a little far. I out
1: feel there. like it's just not I don't know. I just don't think that this is exactly what
0: yeah. happened. <laughs> but now we get into some paranormal ish theories. And one of them is the Russian Yeti. It should be noted that amongst these photographs they've taken there is one particular photograph that is kind of alarming. It's the traditional photo that someone would have of a Bigfoot or a Yeti where the distance is blurry and you see some kind of large figure peering out from the trees. And it's actually pretty clear that there is something or someone peering out of these trees if you find this picture. It's clearly a human or humanoid Being, yeah, which is it's very, it's so ominous to know the story and then to see that picture like someone's watching them, yeah, you know,
1: and a couple of them always had their cameras on their neck. Like if you look through the photos, you see the same people with these cameras. Yeah, they basically sleep with them on. Yeah, so who's to say that they weren't running away and just snapped this picture? Obviously, pictures aren't as cool as like you know you're not gonna snap a picture like today. You know, like, today you're going to get a clear picture. Like, yeah. back then, you don't have the greatest camera. No, and if you look to... at some of these
0: pictures, like, there's, like, blobs of, of black and stuff from, you know, the film being a little bit bad, and there's some scratches and yeah. dust and all kinds of stuff. So it's not, like, great quality pictures, but um, it's, just, it's very ominous to know what happened and see that picture amongst the camera rolls.
1: Yeah, and I know that a lot of people that don't want to, like believe in the yeti theory are kind of like this photo is them playing a prank blah 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 blah. but you don't take pictures those pictures weren't taken at night like that was a daytime picture and the picture is completely dark like the person the humanoid figure is completely dark which is completely weird in my opinion
0: and just you see this thing skulking by a tree and now was this a creature of cryptozoology was it something else or was it a person um, this theory sparked other paranormal theories, but this one was sort of debunked, um, amongst the camera pictures. Like, you see them, like, goofing around and having a good time and doing silly stuff, and apparently they made, like, a mock newspaper clipping at school, and it was about different things, and one of the sections of this mock newspaper said, the Yeti lives in the northern Ural Mountains, and there's, like, a little tiny article about it. Um, So a lot of people speculate that perhaps this was a staged photo by them. Yeah. Because they had this mock newspaper that had a little article thing about that Yeti lives, you know? Yeah, I can definitely
1: understand why people were like, it's big. But it is
0: very, to stage it like that, very well done by them if it was staged because it is so
1: ominous. And it's funny, like now, if you're sitting there and you're watching Paranormal Con on camera, you see almost the exact same, like, figure standing how it's standing with like it's one leg out in front of yeah. the other like it's walking and stuff like it's so close and those are taken years decades apart yeah so it's now, really weird now me
0: being a photographer if I were to do something staged like this I would have taken a couple just to make sure I had it especially if you're dealing with film because you can't see you can't see what you're taking you don't yeah. know if you got it or not For it looks good so why was it only one one yeah not multiple in a row not it, just one
1: and that's was it. that like in any specific spot on the camera roll? Was that the last picture? It was not Did the last know? picture. Okay, it was that's just what I in thought.
0: between amongst these pictures. I think it was further towards the end. Um, but it wasn't like the last, last. No. Okay. No. Jordan, what other paranormal theories do we have?
1: So the next one is the UFO theory. Aliens. Of course,
0: that's going to come into play.
1: Aliens. So, um,. Aliens obviously can get included in the theories due to um, the film that they collected. Mm-hmm. As if you look in the camera rolls, they have like those weird dots, like in orbs and lights that they yeah, and they there's... have in their journals saying like "there's lights in the sky" or whatever the heck that they translated into English. So obviously, people that are UFO fanatics are like, "Holy shit, aliens!" Yeah, which there's, makes sense.
0: There's one really weird photograph um, that was like one of the last frames and it's a very blurry picture but almost as if lights are blurry in the distance and there should not be any lights anywhere exactly on the mountain and i'm not talking about oh like a cityscape of lights no i'm talking lights trickling down from the sky like if you ever see lights that are very blurry you see the big of, yeah of lights and there's multiple or it looks like they're coming down from the sky that one is very very strange and as a degree professional photographer like the only way you can explain it is literally lights trickling down from the sky
1: yeah so we're gonna get into it because i have some of the paranormal idea and then i also have some natural
0: okay very cool stuff
1: okay so some conspiracy theorists claim that UFOs scared the group away. Around the same time, Soviet armed forces did launch several rockets around that area.
0: Okay. okay. Sorry, I want to interrupt you right Go there. Go ahead. I was watching this documentary called "An Unknown Compelling Force," and um, that's where a lot of got, and that's where I got a lot of this information from. And one of the last theories that I'm going to talk about, which makes sense to me, but apparently there was another group of hikers like two weeks behind or two weeks um, after they found these bodies, and they were in the same area. Oh, cool. And they're alive, of course, and they said they saw rockets. Oh. They saw weird lights in the sky, and they saw what looked like rockets coming up or coming down. Interesting. And so, yeah, they actually have on a record that these other hikers saw all these lights and weird stuff in the sky.
1: Well, cool, because I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Although the military claimed the rockets landed in the north of the mountains, several scientists said that they saw some glowing and pulsating orbs flying in the direction where the hikers were the day of the tragedy, oh, wow. so the evening of February 1st. A man who was in charge of, in, of the investigation at the Outlaw Pass made a statement that during his investigation, he and other investigators noticed that the pines in the forest were burned at the top, which I oh. was like, wait, why? At With the the top. Top? why would the top of the trees be burnt, because even if it was rockets, we're, we're meaning that these kids were right next to these rockets going off, not in the distance. Right. It's for it to burn the trees near them. Right. You know not, what I mean? Not only that,
0: but two of the bodies had burns on them.
1: Yeah. Really weird. So he also claims that they were forced to take out any reference of unknown flying objects or other strange phenomena from their reports. I'm
0: sure, because it's the Russian government back then.
1: Yeah. And they, like, you never know with the Russian government. They were probably looking for the damn UFOs themselves. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? They did sketchy shit back in the day. Top
0: secret stuff. Still I now. Mean, <laughs> this is the time of, like, the, hey, the Cold War. So, yeah. they don't want any secrets of anything getting out.
1: So, in the reports, this included pictures of flying spheres drawn by the Mancy Hunters and other testimonies. So, other people were seeing the things in the sky. Like, other people have reported seeing. Not rockets, but random strange lights and stuff. sky.
0: That's very odd.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'm assuming rockets are kind of noticed. Like, you know, I feel like these people would be able to tell. I don't right. know. Like, for some reason, I just feel like these people would notice natural occurring lights versus, holy shit, that's a rocket going Right, on. exactly. So skeptics thought that they gave this interview to make some money, Okay. Which, you know me, I'm always lying. Yeah. And when we I'm trying to make a buck, <laughs> you know, so I wouldn't, you know, I kind of agree with that. Like, if this is, like, out of pocket for that time, people are probably going to be like, nah, that's a lie. They're just right. trying to make some shit up for clout. Ha! Okay. <laughs> so, the UFO theories, like, really wasn't investigated at all since it was deemed a pseudoscientific or religious phenomenon, mm. which I thought was a religious phenomenon... I don't know. But I could see why, definitely, in Russia, especially, Soviet Union time, like, why would they... Yeah,
0: they would prohibit I mean, Yeah. Has like, to do with, like, that kind of thing. They, <laughs> like, and
1: they made, like, crazy propaganda back in that day where it was, like, Russia's the greatest and everybody else yep. sucks ass. So, yep. like, why would they all of a sudden be like, yeah, there's UFOs. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. And also, I know you spoke about radiation already, but when aliens are involved, obviously radiation's involved. Of course. So, um... They included that in this theory, and since some had the radiation found on their clothing and bodies, you know, obviously it correlates with this theory. What I did find interesting when I was researching, it said that the levels on the clothing were twice the levels found on their skin. So, like, it's almost as if whatever happened radiation-wise, it's
0: like... I have a theory that explains that. Okay, good. All right. But we'll get to that
1: because I didn't really know I I don't know how that works I mean I like science and all but I'm just like radiation would it be on your skin radiate to the
0: yes but it's not going to be the same level that's on the object that you're touching yeah exactly you know it's going to have a trickle down effect Okay. Right. If you touch something with radiation, it's going to be less than the radiation that's on that object. And if you touch someone else with that radiation, yes. and it's going okay. to be less as it goes down. Yeah, you know. I see. But I have a theory that, that explains all this. But I'm going to get to that.
1: Okay, I'm excited. So, another thing I'm excited about: a more natural approach to seeing the orbs or lights could be a phenomenon called ball lightning. I know I'm always Here talking you are about lightning. With the lightning, we I'm had
0: talking. a big break. We had lightning multiple podcasts in a row, and now we're back with more
1: lightning. lightning.
0: What are, ball, what's ball lightning?
1: Okay, so according to a source, it is, quote unquote, lightning in a form of a luminous sphere that is generally several centimeters in diameter. So, so
0: not, not big. Not a,
1: not a big strike like we're used to seeing. Apparently, right. it's just these. these
0: small balls and you can lightning.
1: Yeah, and you can look it up, and some of them, like, literally are ball light. It's like literally balls.
0: Dude, sometimes nature is weird.
1: I love how I just said, it's balls. (laughs) (laughs) So scientific, Jordan. Um, But yeah, like, and it's cool because they don't give off the same color. Like, it's not always going to be a white light. It's not always going to be blue. It can be green. Mm -hmm. It can be yellow. So, ball lightning usually occurs near the ground during thunderstorms in close association with cloud to ground lightning.
0: I mean, they are at a high
1: Elevation. Yeah. Yeah. So, I know I already talked about the colors. It's it can be red, orange, yellow, white, or blue and is often accompanied by a hissing sound or a distinct odor.
0: Yeah, if I saw this, <laughs> heard this and smelled this, I would definitely definitely think this is something paranormal, not a nature
1: Yeah, thing. it is bizarre. <laughs> I know that like it's rare. They, they say that it's rare and all that stuff, but still, like, we have photographic evidence of ball
0: lightning. Right. Who knows? Maybe that's what was in, you know, that weird blurry picture of those lights that they captured.
1: And my twin sister is also stupid into weather. So, like, she, every time it's winter, she always waits and hopes she hears, like, a phenomenon called um, thundersnow and stuff like that. Where in a snowstorm, it, it can really cause...
0: That's cool.
1: So it's not out of the norm for like a snowy area to have a thunderstorm.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So ball lightning usually lasts only a few seconds, moving about and then vanishing suddenly, which Mm -hmm. obviously (laughs) UFO. And it can be either silently or explosively. Oh. So this form of lightning has been reported to cause damage by burning or melting, which could... Like, you know, we talked about the trees being burned and other things. Um, But it's usually harmless. To me, it just sounds scary. (laughs) Like, I would (laughs) not want to, like, experience this on any level. Um, Some people that support this claim say that it can be described how the two deaths at the cedar trees can be due to a single electrocution event. Like, obviously due to, like, a lightning strike or the ball lightning.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: Which created burnt hair, bleeding and large burns, burnt clothing, the pulmonary edema, and tree damage, like I said. Interestingly, also the four deaths in the ravine can be theorized to be due to an explosion event because they were the ones that were found so, like, hurt. Um,
0: Right, with the severe chest trauma and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: which, again, can be from a more powerful lightning strike or ball lightning strikes can produce 300,000 amps and temperatures Jesus. several times hotter than the surface of the sun. Jesus. So if this did indeed happen, it can explain blunt force injuries similar to the car accident, or um, something called barotrauma, which is an injury to your body because of the changes in barometric pressure, oh, or water pressure.
0: Kind of like So air uh, or water pressure. Right, like uh, if a scuba diver comes up too quickly and, and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. I found out that they thought that Igor Diatlov remained with the others in the ravine and stayed alive for some time afterwards, and that he may have stripped the bodies and turned them over to provide more insulation. And then, sometime later, he decided to try to t- return to the tent, but died, being the only member of the group to have clear signs of hypothermia. And they included this with that theory of right. the ball lightning. So that's why. I, I mean, it makes that sense. He was a leader.
0: Thing. He was. He really knew what to do in these kinds of situations. So. It, yeah, I mean, that's that part of it's kind of plausible. Yeah, I'm still I mean, skeptical on the ball lightning thing. Yeah, but... yeah, a-
1: absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's just, especially since it they say that it's so rare and everything like that. And I feel like if these if they got struck by lightning, you would be able to tell as, as an autopsy. Like if you're reading autopsies yeah, and you're reviewing dead It does dead leave bodies, distinctive marks yeah. if
0: there's any kind of like that that are that hot or lightning strikes yeah you know? so
1: there are people obviously that don't agree with this just yeah. like all the other theories we're about to talk about but I just wanted to include that because I just thought it was
0: so cool very cool
1: <laughs> so the next theory I have is murder by special forces or the KGB
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, the theory is that the Dyatlov group stumbled upon the military testing area and were either killed by Soviet soldiers protecting the area or were scared into fleeing by the sounds of nearby explosions, which is completely plausible, especially since we're talking about rockets and shit like that.
0: Yeah.
1: So Soviet soldiers, according to the theory, interrogated them and killed them. But in my opinion, I don't think they would have found the bodies if it was special for like, like. No. I know we talked about this before we did this podcast, but I just think that if these are trained professionals... Like, I get it staging a scene, but, like, why even have a scene?
0: Right. You why, know? why make it look like some of them survived longer than others? Why put them in different places? Like, it just, it, yeah, that one doesn't that
1: Yeah, works. it just, it seems a little skeptical to me. Yeah, I just think that if, if special forces or whoever these other people are, they're obviously going to be like, bye. I, I just think that they would just take them out of the picture.
0: Yeah, there eliminate was... Eliminate them. Going on that theory, there was a theory that, like, they stumbled upon, like, Soviet weapon testing, and that's why, like, trees were burned as they had burns, but that's, like, that's crazy. Yeah, like, (laughs) like, we just, like,
1: automatically popped up a camp right here, and we're testing, and we're burning trees, and we're burning people and killing people. (laughs) Like, you know, it's just, like, dang, that happened in five seconds, yo. (laughs) So the next theory I have is... A really cool thing, in my opinion, called infrasound.
0: What the... I saw this written down. What is infrasound?
1: So, new research has been done into a rare weather phenomenon that has suggested that a perfect storm could have struck the campers in the night. So, obviously, it panicked them so much that they had to flee the tent. Right. Um, and then they fell victim to the brutal cold um, before they came to their senses because of the infrasound made them delirious and everything like that. So researchers and investigators um, believe that a wind phenomenon called a Carmen Vortex Street could have produced a terrifying, powerful sound which is proven to induce irrational fear in humans. Really? Yeah, so we'll get to that. Continuing on. But under certain circumstances, they could also produce a more subtle and terrifying phenomena known as the infrasound. So you can hear this this phenomenon okay. with that Carmen Vortex street where it's loud and it, it like obviously rattles you because you can hear it. It's loud. It's bothersome. Yeah. But then the infrasound is completely opposite of ultrasound, obviously. It's a type of vibration in the air that has a frequency so low that it cannot be picked up by our hearing.
0: Okay.
1: And... Studies have shown that it has certain effects on the human body, including loss of sleep, shortness of breath, and extreme feelings of dread. Wow. So it causes vibrations in the inner ear, and you may not hear them, but your body's reacting to them. Right. So it's making you like out of sorts. You, you like, you know, obviously can't understand what's going on. Yeah. Because you're not, you don't hear anything, so why? You know, you're not thinking that it could be something in your ear. So interestingly, the waves um, are defined as anything below normal hearing range, which is 20 hertz. The upper Mm -hmm. range is around 20,000. It can be by man-made objects as well as a natural phenomena, which we were talking about. Um, A French scientist first noticed the effect of infrasound on his body thanks to a badly designed fan. (laughs) When his lab assistants began suffering nausea for no reason at all, he discovered that the discomfort was caused by a motor of a large fan, which was emitting weird sound waves. Right. Also, a 2003 study in the UK found that a fifth of people exposed to infrasound reported feeling anxious, scared, and unable to breathe properly. Wow. Yeah. affects you. Yeah. Another theory, which I love to say, holds that the waves are linked to ghost sightings. Just wait. Okay, so since it vibrates, I know you're looking at me like you're shape, Jordan. But um since it vibrates the fluid and your eyeball, it causes you to see this weird gray blob out of the corner of your eye. So people are linking it to say like, that's why people see apparitions and da da da. Something
0: has to be emitting sound. Yeah. That you can't hear, but the sound waves are there messing with you.
1: Yeah. So And this obviously, don't take my word for it, but there are Like other places that explain this phenomena. Like, I watched um, the show called The Unexplained on Netflix or Discovery Plus, and they kind of, like, they explain it really well, how it vibrates and how it makes you see things and stuff like that. I mean, I get
0: that, but like if you're in an abandoned place and nothing's emitting sound...
1: But here, I'm getting to that.
0: Now, before you go... Go ahead. um, Along with things linking to why people think they see or hear ghosts, um, obviously a tool that we use in our investigations is an EMF detector, yeah. which detects electromagnetic fields. Electrom- and EMFs are given mm-hmm. off of electronic devices. And if you're around something that is emitting very high levels of EMF and you're around it for a long period of time, and you're around it for a long period of time, it can make you feel anxious, dizzy, dizzy, Maybe, maybe even nauseous. And so whenever I do an investigation, I always do an initial EMF sweep throughout the location I'm at just to see if anything is giving off high levels of EMF. So I know that if I'm in that area, it, I want to stay away from that electronic device, whatever yeah. it is. Or if that's the area people say they see things, it could be that, you know? If you hold up an EMF detector next to your microwave and you have to be like right next to it it'll yeah. go off if you hold it up next to your circuit breaker it's gonna go off you know yeah. obviously the detector has to be pretty close to it because these waves don't really emit that far you know it's not yeah. like oh this thing is now emitting emf throughout your entire house it's in a very confined small space around this yeah the object but so
1: I'm no paranormal investigator I'm not a professional like you but um it do they re- is that what they refer to as the baseline reading like when they first come in yes. or is that something else okay that's the baseline. all right reading. yeah cool I wanted to sound smart <laughs> so to finish this theory off I just want to say lastly in a condensed way these scientists also theorized that tornado-like winds were happening around the hikers while they slept Because of how they were on that slope and there was the tree lines, they theorized that maybe there were like these arctic tornado things. That does not sound very cool. But they were happening while they slept and due to the winds, it caused the infrasound, making the hikers wake up in a state of distress, and obviously, like I said before, not thinking clearly, they fled the tent without proper protection of the elements.
0: I think they were too smart for that, especially Dialov.
1: Sounds like a crazy ass theory to me. But the infrasound is real. It's cool. Oh
0: yeah, it's 100% real. But or they found I don't can make it know. a
1: certain way. I just don't know if that would be what would happen in the middle yeah, of no, nowhere. And... Far
0: fetched. And they said when they found it, it looked like they were about to eat, so they weren't sleeping yet. Yeah, exactly. But interesting theory, a little far out there. Interesting for
1: me. theory, but we're still not convinced. Nope. Okay. So my next theory is something called Arctic hysteria. Okay. So this theory became popular after many people started comparing the Diatlov Pass incident to another pass incident. So this introduced the possible cause of the strange behavior of the hikers, like disorientation, loss of time, not feeling cold, and walking in a trance. Um, Other symptoms of this illness can be aggression, which we're going to get to later in this podcast, and just weird behavior of a person in general. I was reading about this and I was like they sound like they lost their minds and turned into zombies yeah that's <laughs> and, what and it like sounds like died because of it because they didn't understand that it was freaking freezing and they needed clothes obviously to go trudging around right the snowy mountains like so those who become affected by this phenomena begin having both visual and auditory hallucinations
0: jeez even cause that
1: that's scary um and exhibit very strange behavior, such as shredding their clothes, like shredding off their clothes mm-hmm. and walking around unsure of what direction they should be going. Wow. I did read that the the Mansi people called this like northerner walking or something like norther, northwest direction, some weird name like okay. that. Um, so they have noticed it. Right. But... Getting to that, where I brought up the natives already. The problem with this theory is that it's only been observed in native people. So non-natives have often observed this and report it, but they've never been affected
0: themselves. Interesting. Seems very rare.
1: Yeah. It seems almost as if, like, I wonder, because the natives are out there and they're more spiritual people than modern city living people maybe it has a different effect on them than you know non-spiritualistic people but that's just a theory um they see it so often that some speculate that the natives are throwing a tantrum because (laughs) sorry i just think it's so funny that they call it that (laughs) um they're throwing a tantrum because of the invasion of strangers in their lands which i mean it makes sense but it's also like come on they're not children yeah you know Times are changing. There's more people on this planet. Um, Some explain the onset of the episodes to be triggered by the stress from an encounter with technology and a sudden devaluation of their beliefs and the beliefs of their ancestors. So, like I said, like, I just feel like they're more spiritualistic people and they're like, you know, calm. you know, I don't want to say anything that's like insensitive, but like, you know, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. So others say that it is malnutrition and poor education in the natives that maybe they act that way because of those things. I don't um, know. I wouldn't want to say that
0: I wouldn't they're say that, but
1: dumb and acting mindless. Yeah. Like, that's pretty shitty to say about them. But um, the fact remains that it affects the natives and not passing hikers like huh. they don't love past people. Interesting. So my next theory I wanted to just bring up for fun was animals. Mm-hmm. I know that people definitely, probably at the beginning of this podcast, were listening to us map like ramble about people without tongues and eyeballs and <laughs> shit. Right. So naturally they're going to be like, animals were pecking their eyes out and stuff. So I don't really know what to say about this, other than they think maybe a bear could have played a role in the incident, scared them out of the tent, and they ran away from the bear. But if you're running away from a freaking grizzly bear... Yes. It's going to keep following you. But
0: I have something that debunks that theory. I know,
1: I know that it's debunked,
0: but I just um, wanted to
1: bring it up anyway for the people that think that that's This group of friends have, al- have obviously
0: been doing these kinds of hikes for a while. Yeah. And there is a passage in one of the diaries. I forget which guy it was. It was one of them, One of the guys. They came across a bear and this guy did, like, got up and growled and moved his arms like he scared the bear away. They're probably so, not used to
1: seeing people. They're probably like, "What the hell this is this?" This has thing?
0: happened. So, bear a bear encounter has happened with this group of friends before, and one of the dudes actually ended up scaring the bear away. So,
1: I wonder which one it was.
0: <laughs> I think it. I might be wrong, but I think it was the mandolin player. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, yeah,
1: but funny. I had to. I had to mention this. But I also saw something about people thinking maybe a reindeer or also even a wolverine could have. Cause them to. I mean, wolverines are
0: nasty, but.
1: I'm sorry, I'll punt a wolverine. If I'm in the middle of nowhere and it's coming up to my tent to get my food or something, a wolverine ain't taking me out.
0: No. Or
1: making me walk. Reindeer, Walk down a, a, a mountain to a ravine. I'm not walking away from a wolverine, you know no, what I mean? Yeah. Like a reindeer, they're big, I could see they that, are, but, but I feel like they would be a little skittish, like we said about the bear, you yeah. know, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think no. it's a stupid theory, yeah. but I had to mention it. So for my next theory, I have self-inflicted accidents, Okay. which I think is a plausible theory, especially if you're coming not at a paranormal standpoint. But I just also don't know if I believe in any of these theories because these kids are smart. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? They've
0: done these kinds yeah. of, of stuff so many times. Like so, I feel like making mistakes at this yeah. level is kind of. I mean, not not that it's not possible, but
1: yeah, that's the only reason you know, I'm kind of including it in our discussion, yeah. just to say like it's not this not like, what happened it's to like non-experienced. Like one people. person
0: on a hike making mistakes. It's a group of them. Like, yeah, they're not like if one person makes a mistake, someone else is going to fix it or say something. Yeah, you know I mean? exactly.
1: So the first. Accident that I have is stove-like suffocation. Okay. So some think that they may have left the tent due to smoke from the stove. Yeah, but um, they, yeah, but they've done this. I know, but I'm just bringing it up for shits and giggles. Yeah. Um, the problem with this theory is that they wouldn't need to go a mile down the hill to escape smoke in a tent, like
0: right? They could just stand outside a tent and open the door exactly
1: like even if they thought it could be from the fire in the tent they wouldn't need to go so far away from it or, or um, slash
0: the tent open yeah
1: exactly <laughs> they could like and like you wouldn't slash the tent you just open the damn door and go out yeah, you exactly know? and if it was smoke they wouldn't completely abandon the tent without the shoes and the coats for a mi- like and walk a mile away right. from it you know i just think and if it was a fire or something wrong with the stove i just don't think that they would just
0: leave No, their stuff was, like, neatly placed around. And and nothing else was on fire. And if it was a fire,
1: the tent would burn. (laughs) You know, like, we wouldn't have a perfectly pristine uh, tent.
0: You have snow to put it out. Like, there's an abundance of snow around you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, so another
1: weakness of this theory is the consistency of reports by witnesses and investigators that the stove was not assembled and still, like, functional. Like, they took the stove apart apparently i don't
0: yeah you take the stove apart because you you're not gonna leave it and then on, you yeah. put it back together and like they said it looked like they were about to eat not that they already started eating so
1: quote they would argue that the only thing that could make them leave would have to be an immediate threat inside of the tent which makes sense if something was outside such as an animal or a ufo then there would be no reason to cut the tent open They could have escaped, believing an avalanche was tumbling towards them. The problem with that theory is that footprints showed them walking calmly and orderly down the slope, which we've said a bunch of times in this podcast, as opposed to running away in panic. So something caused them to panic inside of this tent, but once outside they calmed down and made a conscious decision just to walk down the slope. Like, it just doesn't make sense. was it
0: cut from the outside?
1: Exactly. It seems weird to me. The whole thing... Of them walking calmly down, but we're always theorizing that they're something that stressed them out. Yeah. We should see running. Right. You know, it just, these, it's just mind-blowing. We're trying to support theories, but we're also refuting theories that we like. Because right. it just doesn't <laughs> all make sense. Yeah. So you've brought this up a bunch of times, but we know that they used the stove on the night of the incident because before whatever took place... There was partially eaten pieces of fried ham and bacon that were found inside of the tent Mm. um they later say that somehow the stove was re quote-unquote reignited when they were taking it down and as the exhaust pipe was removed the smoke would have filled the tent in seconds and as they attempt to get control of the flame they just cut holes at the top of the tent to vent the smoke i just don't think that that would be realistic if you know you're going to be out in the weather still right
0: but like again like wouldn't they have like where's the knife keep saying where's the knife
1: yeah and then they say here then they say here that when the venting of the smoke didn't work because they did say that there were two holes cut like when I was researching there were Mm -hmm. two holes cut and then the big slash so almost as if maybe they were quote-unquote peering out Or something so they're taking that and saying maybe it was to vent smoke and then when the tent filled up with smoke they panicked and just cut it to escape Mm -hmm. but still that doesn't explain why they decided to walk away right Right. you know so and also because of the burn marks on their bodies and the clothing they want to try to say that it could be from the metal on the stove that burned them i mean that would be crazy somebody has a burnt Part of their head. Yeah, you know, the stove dude yeah. on the head. Yeah, and it's like
0: their hands or something, but not like the inner leg or anything like yeah.
1: that. Yeah, you know? and another reason why people support this this theory is because several members of the group were found with blood around their mouths, and coughing up blood is a symptom of smoke inhalation. Yeah, but a lot of smoke inhalation. Yeah, not twenty seconds of scrambling and you no. know.
0: Yeah, a lot of smoke inhalation. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, um, getting to the the end of this bullshit theory apparently some of them were apparently intoxicated which would have affected their judgment as well as their sensibility to the cold like it just seems off the grid like it yeah. just seems stupid to me yeah. so another is methanol poisoning for methanol poisoning may include decreased level of consciousness poor coordination vomiting abdominal pain and a specific smell on the breath um also, decreased vision may start as early as 12 hours after exposure. Long-term outcomes may include blindness and kidney failure. The blindness is going to play a role, a huge role in this theory. So, lastly, toxicity and um, death may occur after drinking just a small amount of methanol. Mm. Um, supporters of this theory point out that the following aspects of the hiker's behavior may explain methanol poisoning. One of them being cutting up the tent from inside, which correlates with decreased level of consciousness and poor coordination. So the second being going down the slope in a calm fashion, which means possibly they could have been holding hands due to the blindness symptom, Mm. which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, The third being cutting up branches to make a fire while there is dry wood laying right around the cedar tree. So again... Possibly blindness. They didn't know where things were, and they had to go get new things and whatever. And lastly, which is bizarre, there was a high amount of urine in Dyatlov's bladder. Yeah,
0: he had the most.
1: So can correlate with the kidney failure that we talked about. Interesting. So in this theory, the way methanol apparently could have made its way into the hiker's system... So the first being the melting of snow and increased radioactivity in the area of the incident may have caused this methanol spilled over the past some crazy shit like that apparently like an aircraft was transmitting methanol and the solution somehow ended like up in the there yeah melting and, yeah.
0: and it's getting into their system
1: yeah it's very wordy i wasn't reading all that specific <laughs> shit so the second being that during the evening meal when the group was hungry and thirsty someone had introduced methanol based stove fuel to the food which I think is really weird. I never right. heard of that before. Right. Um, either in a malicious intent or accidentally just to loosen the party up, but there was no liquid stove fuel found. Mm. Since, by all accounts, the Diatla group use only wood for their stove. <laughs> like we said, they yeah. didn't find anything out of the norm. And if you did an autopsy correctly, you're going to find methanol in there. Exactly. So lastly, everybody knows that the hikers carry alcohol for medicinal purposes. Apparently hikers drink it in small quantities to warm up sometimes. <laughs> and I know that in a journal entry, Yuri Yudin said that he was upset because he couldn't provide alcohol for the trip. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently a flask of alcohol was found later. Um, it was noted that the smell from the flask was reviewed by searchers, which we don't know what kind of people they were, how qualified they were to make this choice, and they couldn't tell if it was vodka or alcohol, let alone ethanol or methanol.
0: You're going to smell the difference, but come on, they're Russian. Yeah. They're in their 20s, they're carrying vodka.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, in conclusion, just to give like a brief consensus of my wordy discussion, um, the theory goes like this, the Diatlov group, after hard work, pitched a tent, drank alcohol from their flask to warm themselves up, which could have turned out to be the methanol. They were blinded, and obviously if you're blind, you're going to panic, therefore cut the tent and ran out blind, unsure of where the hell they were going. Boom, the end. You know, I just don't think that they would make that mistake. Right, You know,
0: they're on the last leg of this trip. They didn't sip it before then?
1: And I just feel like they seem so responsible. Like, why if you're in a potential scary ass environment that you're well aware of why would you even decide to drink it yeah, all exactly so lastly the fun one that i'm just gonna quick say is drugs and shrooms <laughs> <laughs> i thought this was so funny to see that shrooms could have possibly oh my God. made these kids go nuts so so the mushroom is called fly agaric which is very toxic it's like the one that has the red top
0: Gotcha. The
1: little white speckles, you know, my favorite. But, um, and these become less lethal when they're dried out. Obviously, if they're cooking and they need to find something, which I don't believe that they would make such a stupid decision. Yeah. And no, just they, eat raw mushrooms. They had
0: their stuff. Yeah. You
1: know? Conveniently, um, they grow under pine trees, too. So they're out, you know, in the yeah. mountains. And that's why this is one of the random weird theories that people have. So the theory with this one, to me... The only logical idea is the possibility that the group may have ingested these mushrooms either intentionally or unintentionally and suffered the delirium, the sweating, and, you know, all of those problems that we all know happens to people. Yeah, the bizarre, the bizarre behavior troops. and yeah. all other stuff. Yeah. yeah, so this would account for what appears to be the bizarre behavior of the group that night, which we yeah. all know this sounds like bullshit, but I just <laughs> had to bring it up because I just yeah. thought it was hysterical. None of these... They were like Shrums. none of these
0: explain like the wounds and stuff. You yeah, know?
1: no, so. like, like, so what? They took shrooms and you just thought they like ran down, they walked down a ravine all like crazy right, and, and what, were they're just like, tripping
0: over themselves da-di-da. and stuff. And, and now that's all of a sudden, I crushed my
1: skull <laughs> or like, like, crush
0: your chest. Yeah, like yeah. no,
1: it doesn't yeah. make sense. So and if they were blind,
0: they wouldn't have been able to make that makeshift den. The last yeah, year, exactly. You know? And if you're
1: delirious and you don't understand and you don't feel the cold, God forbid. I've never done shrooms, so I wouldn't know what it's like. Yeah. But if you're not feeling the cold, why, you wouldn't make a dent.
0: Right, and you wouldn't begin sense. taking clothes off of your dead friends and putting you sweater around have, your feet, you know.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't have that kind of... Your brain wouldn't be in that state. Yeah. So my last theory is that there could have possibly been issues in the group. So the theory goes that the hikers took a part in a fight, either between them or some outsiders, so the observations are um, based on the autopsy reports and mainly what is missing from them. The group members have injuries sustained perhaps a day or two before their death, such as abrasions and bruises, um, common for injuries from blunt force objects and like like making a fist and punching something. you Right, know. like fighting. Yeah. On their faces and their hands there were abrasions like we talked about and they were covered in bruises that were turning green. So usually when you're... After you hit something, you, you're, like, black and blue. You're right. not green. When it goes to green and yellow, you're healing. The bruise is healing. So it's like it happened before they died. Like, days possibly before they died. You know, that's what the theory goes. I'm not saying I agree. Yeah, I'm
0: not sure. I, I read the autopsy stuff. I mean, it's translated, but... I don't know. Maybe maybe a couple yeah. of bruises and stuff could be, but not, not yeah. all of them and not all the cuts.
1: But either. what they say you know? in this, the people that believe this theory... It indicates that the injury could have happened like only hours before their death. So that's why when they were going through this whole thing and they were dying, that's why mm-hmm. it was changing colors because it was trying to heal. That's just what the theory says.
0: I feel like someone would have wrote about it though. I know. You know like they have diary entries right up to the tent being pitched. Yeah. tent. You know, I, just I feel think... like someone would have written something. Yeah,
1: about. I just think that they like when we get farther into this theory, I just think they think that everything's a cover-up, that yeah, something happened. Okay. So, most likely the group came into contact with someone in the area of the past, maybe. Um, if they were found with a bunch of bruising or cuts on their knuckles, wouldn't your first theory be that they were fighting something, you know, or possibly right. got into a fight, maybe, within the group, where somebody said something stupid or, you know, whatever, fists started flying there, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> right. you never know. Um, If you want to do a deep dive, um, diatlovpass.com explains things, this whole thing, in such great detail. Oh, nice. That you can sit there and just, like me, do the deep dive and be like, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like
0: if anyone does any kind of research on this after listening to this podcast, you read one page and all of a sudden you read 20. Yeah, and then you're just like,
1: holy shit, how is it 2 a.m.? I just started this at 9 p.m. Like, there's just so much on this. Like, and they also correlate things like the one guy that bit off his own skin and stuff Mm -hmm. could have possibly been he was biting them because of it being irritated from before and not because of what happened. So, yeah, they, like, do a complete deep dive. But interestingly... For each of the nine people, the experts indicated that pieces of internal organs were taken for histological examination. I decided to add this because I'm a histotechnologist. Yes, you So, but only for the last four, they had results put into the criminal case, not for the other five, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's weird. And they name the ones and they talk about it on that, um, diatlovpass.com, so do the deep dive. It's crazy. Um, They assume that the histology of the first five bodies um, was deliberately concealed and Hmm. didn't, they didn't feel like bringing it up and maybe they only put these results in the autopsy case because they knew something that the rest of us did. not yeah, who knows? But that's up for discussion that we don't have time for right (laughs) now. So that is it for my theories.
0: Some of them are a little far fetched, in my opinion. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Some of them don't explain everything, but uh yeah, the very interesting theories I just
1: and, feel like that's how these theories are, where yeah. like that's why there's so many of them. Because you can't literally say it's just one. It's like five, in my opinion. They just like bring this in and this could correlate with that theory and you right. know, it's just like a puzzle piece coming together, but it never fully
0: fits. Yeah. Let's go back to the original accepted theory that is also the most Mundane um, that the group fled the tent in a hurry because of a uh, slab avalanche and then, you know, succumbed to the harsh conditions. But people say, you know, that they are smart enough to know if an avalanche is happening or about to happen, and that's why they slashed away out of the tent, but they didn't run down the mountain. They walked. Yeah. So if, if an avalanche is coming, you're gonna run. You're not gonna walk to the forest line, right? Yeah. Um, and people say, oh, you know, the reason why they have wounds and bruises is because they got hit by the avalanche. And that's why the two people had their chest crushed. But if avalanche, I mean, maybe if an avalanche is hurling rocks at you and stuff. But you're going to be, if you're in the avalanche, you're going to be in the avalanche. You're not going to yeah. come from a makeshift snow den. You know what I mean?
1: But my thing is, is, like, if an avalanche is, if, if all that snow is going over you, like... I understand the slashing of the tent to get out, but like you're under, you would be under feet of snow. Like you can literally look up people that have survived avalanches nowadays, and they can't even get out on their own. Yeah. No. So if it's a freaking serious ass avalanche and not just the tiny snow, um, snow slab, it's just even a snow slab, you could be under a couple yeah. feet of snow. It's just to me, it just doesn't seem like. That's yeah. the possibility because of how the tent yeah. was found. Exactly. It just doesn't make and sense. And all
0: the professional hangers and stuff that were there in the search party, they said there's no they all said that there was no evidence that an avalanche was there, you know. But the officials really were pushing this avalanche theory.
1: But then if they think that you're you're getting crushed by an avalanche like cuz they, they do say that an avalanche if it hits you, it can hit you with an extreme impact. Which I could see why their first thing is, oh shit, it's an avalanche. But if you're crushed by snow and it, for the one lady, mm-hmm. it broke her ribs and her rib hit her ventricle and her heart and she's internally bleeding, do you think she's getting out that tent and walking calmly down a ravine?
0: I don't think calmly so. Calmly
1: down a slope to the ravine.
0: Or even if it happened a little bit afterwards. Like... It
1: makes no, or somebody's skull is crushed. Right. So then, what do you think? Igor Dyatlov sliced the freaking tent open, went up to get to fresh air to come back. It's not water. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's freaking snow. Like, you know, it, for those people that were severely injured, it just doesn't make sense.
0: Doesn't make sense at all. They're not just. And the wounds of it. don't add up either. Yeah. You know? Well, let me get into the theory that I found to be the most plausible the theory that came out of the end of the documentary. That I watched. Apparently, there is another native Siberian tribe referred to as savages. They are called the Kanti people. They are like Minci, they don't, they're not part of the Mincy people. They are like Minci. They have similar beliefs and customs, um, similar dressings and stuff like that, but they are different. And it is 100% known that there was a group of five Conti people who inhabit around the Dyatlov Pass area. Okay. And that, like I said, they, were, they are referred to as savages. There was even a report done by police that said if um, Russian passers come through their area, they will kill them. Oh, shit. So I'm going to backtrack. I'm going to go through... A lot of these pieces of evidence and kind of explain what the documentary thinks what happened. First let's talk about the tent. After current investigators looked at the evidence they looked at the fibers of the photos of the slashing and it looks like the tent was actually slashed from the outside not the inside. So it's speculated that I mean, even from the photo that was taken, where you see a creature or something lurking out behind a tree, that it could be one of these uh, county people. Mm. And it's presumed that they made their tents and they, you know, they got warm and they were about to eat or were eating and, you know, probably they're, you know, their boots are off and they're just about to go to bed for the night. And that's when they got kind of ambushed by the... Kianti people. They wanted them gone. And they slashed their tent open and ordered them to come out of the tent. And Yeah. So that explains the tent slashing from the outside and it kind of also explains walking down the mountain. Right? If these Kianti people want them gone or if they're going to do something to them, are they going to do it right there in the freezing cold? Or are they going to kind of walk yeah. them down to the foresty area where there's Forest and not really snow. Yeah, I mean, and that that correlates. So they kind of rounded them up and forced them, forced them out.
1: Yeah, that correlates because then if they're if they don't want beef with them, they obviously aren't going to run away from them because they know they'll get killed. Right. So being smart that they were, they just let them call the shots.
0: If five people come up to your tent, slash it open, and order you out, and they have weapons or at least a knife each. You know, you're. Yeah. What are you gonna do? You're gonna fight them right then and there, yeah. and then it also. I mean, it kind of also then explains maybe why the flashlight was on top of the tent. Because I'm sure if that happens, you're gonna pull out your flashlight and see in the dark. And I'm sure they. They took got it right, rid of it. Yeah. Probably, yeah. The people kind of slashed it out of their hand and just threw it on their shit. Interesting. You know? Another piece of evidence that explains this theory was they found a leather strap or belt that was Mansi style. And that was around where they found the bodies around the cedar tree. So I think that... Remember, we had a couple people who had their wrists and ankles almost look as if they were tied up. So I think they started tying some of them up. And that's probably why the one guy had flesh taken. Because he was probably trying to gnaw his way out of being tied up.
1: I see why you support this theory.
0: Yeah, Then we get into... But I don't. They definitely were fighting something or someone yeah so obviously we know these kids are tough we know these kids aren't gonna take any shit from anyone yeah we know these kids are gonna try to get out of a situation they have no shoes on in the cold they don't have like their jackets and their heavy gear on but so what so did they just
1: up and leave did
0: i think they think... started to try to fight the chianti people and
1: but there's no stab wounds
0: there are no stab wounds
1: but there is Battle wounds. <laughs> There's a lot of battle wounds. You know wounds. it looks like right. like so hitting the your kidneys. Maybe and the stuff Chianti like that.
0: people didn't have weapons, maybe they just had one knife. I don't know. Yeah. Um but to explain like
1: yeah. the fighting.
0: Um, Absolutely. If the Chianti people like rounded up by the forest and made a fire and you're fighting around it, maybe that's why some burns. Yeah. Happen on the leg, happen on the head. I mean, if you're because fighting around was, a fire, that could happen. Yeah,
1: there was that extreme burn on the one guy's foot where it, like, literally looked like he put his feet in the fire yeah. to, like, warm them up. People thought that it was possibly that, but maybe it's because he had to step through the fire to get yep. away from somebody, you know?
0: And I see, I see. I am sure, like, if others had a chance to get away, they were pro- at least Yatlov and other, like others, like, run. Like, yeah. go, you yeah. know? And that's why they were kind of all split up. And so I'm sure some of them, you know, who made it down the mountain, probably the county people caught up to them, and that's why they have crushed chests. Yeah. They freaking killed them. They stomped on their chest or something, and perhaps the one chick, um, maybe, I mean, and she, she found... seemed like she would, like, be the one to talk and, yeah. you know, and, be and, a little badass, and that's, maybe they cut her tongue out.
1: I'm not sure if that's the same one, but in the pictures of how they found them, the one girl is found in the most... Execution styled way, yeah. Which I can understand. Like I said, it's a theory. It's not proven and everything, but I can completely understand why you support this one. Yeah. Like she's found laying up against this like rock. Yeah. Like her stomach to the rock, her legs out behind her weird, and like it looks like she, maybe she was pushed onto that rock, yeah, and Because she's exhausted. Yeah. And you who know. knows to say that that didn't? That's not the reason she had her heart. Exactly. Punctured.
0: And the guy who had the deformed neck and the wound behind his ear, researchers today actually look at that and say, wow, that's actually kind of the signs of being strangled to death.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it just sucks because, like, those, I don't know if it was three or if it was two of them that were, like, going back towards the tent. Like, I don't want to believe that Igor Dyatlov abandoned them to get brutally murdered and I, I went don't back think he did. There.
0: Maybe. But maybe the
1: f- they found maybe, him dead because he was he died of hypothermia. Maybe they yeah. were just like, we don't have to do anything to him. You know, right. We can or, leave
0: now. Or maybe the kids actually did well fighting. I mean, it kind of looks like it. Maybe they scared off the Keanu. They're like, yeah. you know what? Fuck it. It's not worth it. We're, we're gone. Yeah. You know? And then Dyatlov was, was probably like, all right, well, they're gone. They could be anywhere, but we, I got to get our gear. Otherwise, we're going to freeze to death. Yeah you know interesting very interesting i did theory. not
1: know well i know when i saw it in your notes and there was one sentence i was like <laughs> he's about to pop off because i have no i even tried to google it i'm like i i don't even know where this theory came from because i had a completely different set of like obviously research than you did so yeah interesting that's yeah that's pretty interesting and now, very not, plausible now
0: not involved with the canty people but i do have an explanation for the radiation
1: okay go ahead
0: As we know, Yuri Krivanoshenko helped clean up a nuclear incident. Yes. Right? He helped clean up the radiation. As I said, back then, stuff probably wasn't done as properly as it could have been. Technology wasn't at the level it is today. I would assume that if he's part of the group cleaning up this radioactive leak, he's going to become in contact with radioactivity. He's going to come... He's going to have radiation on him. And remember, the sweater that was wrapped around Dumanina's feet, that was the piece of clothing that had the most amounts of radiation. Yes, I did read that. But that sweater belonged to Krivonischenko. So, personally, I think that his body had radiation. And so, if he's wearing that sweater a lot or for his arm the whole time, it's probably going to leak onto that sweater. And now she takes it, wraps it around her feet... It's on the sweater. It's on her feet as well.
1: I know that they had radioactivity like monitors and like those fancy little machines that tell you. But like if they covered that up, they're just going to let these people that yeah. could have been exposed to radioactive material right. walk around now, and remember, not give a shit. It wasn't about in the AOR. area.
0: It was literally just on the clothing yeah. and on the skin that was touching the clothing. Now here's a, here's the theory that kind of makes that theory true with yeah. the. Um, radiation thing as soon as they discovered that the clothing had radiation on it that's when the government came in and said we're done shut it down they died of hypothermia that's it
1: yeah we and that's when they shut down
0: this entire thing because remember they covered up the nuclear disaster they covered it up and they did not want anyone to know about it. so now they know this guy was there he helped clean it up they find radiation they're like nope Done. Shut it down.
1: Yeah. I, now that I'm thinking about things, it makes sense. Like, if he was stuck up, like, caught up in this and, you know, God forbid, like, KGB or whatever the hell they're called or whatever got involved, too. Like, I don't know. It's just crazy. Like, it's all plausible. It all makes sense.
0: Yeah. I think that part makes a lot of sense.
1: Like, and I mean, if you think about it realistically, there's UFOs and then there's that theory. Which (laughs) one are you going to pick? You know, obviously.
0: Occam's razor. The most likely simplest explanation is usually the right one
1: yeah even though it would be really fun to think it's ufos and
0: Absolutely. aliens i know that whole theory with the chianti <laughs> people and with the radiation thing um i was like oh it's not something like really cool and paranormal but <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. it does make sense to me exactly. anyway. you know well, that is the entire story of Dyatlov's Pass. There's a lot more stuff you could look at and research and I was going to say, that's just um, scratching
1: the surface, basically. Really.
0: Honestly, we are really giving you kind of... This is a long episode, but we're giving you like the spark notes of the entire thing. Yeah. Um, but if you do any research yourself and look into this, reach out to us. Let us know what you think happened to them. Yeah. What do you think killed these group of experienced kids in the... Uh, snowy mountains.
1: And I know that there's like fanatics out there. And if we didn't do something justice and you want us to clarify it in the next episode at the beginning, we could definitely do that. Obviously, I would want to know. Just yeah. please don't write me an email and say you suck at speaking Russian names. Because well, I don't want to hear. We that. are not Russian. <laughs>
0: Did our best.
1: Don't do that. But anything else, please give. We always we always are looking for feedback. So yeah, and I would know. really
0: love to know what some of you think. Um, Absolutely. Happened that day, that night. Well, we have now come to the section of the spooky fan story.
1: And I hope you're all still with us, and I (laughs) hope you're ready for a spooky fan story. So I have a part one from somebody I know from work very well. Her name is Daisy. And she is, like, the definition of shit always goes wrong for her. Like, Ah. she is, like, one of those people that... Fully accepts that she is an unlucky person and fully accepts that weird shit happens to her. Right. Like she's like in tune with unlucky shit and like paranormal and stuff. Like it's her level. And it's funny because she's really short. So sorry, Daisy. (laughs) She has a step stool at work that she steps on to like clean chemicals and stuff like that. She's so tiny, but yeah, so she has some stories to tell us. Cool. Well, thank you, Daisy,
0: for submitting a story.
1: Yeah, she's awesome. I love her. So the first story that she sent in was Backyard consisted of a funeral home and morgue.
0: Oh, geez, We're off to a lovely start.
1: Yes. So she says, Only a fence separated us. So there was a moment that we saw them roll out bodies in black bags as the morgue was located in a small building behind the funeral home. Wow. So she's standing in her backyard.
0: And she's seen the black bags. And
1: sees them bringing these bodies in. Yeah. So... At times, we would wait by the fence to see if anyone would actually come out. When we would play outside and a ball would fly over the fence, we would climb over the fence and try to see inside, but there were no windows. First off, there's no windows, don't go looking. (laughs) We had upstairs neighbors who we could consistently hear going back and forth on the stairs and hear them walking, so we knew when they were home. Yet we would constantly hear knocks on our front door, but it wasn't our neighbor's. Oh. We knew this because we asked them, and they stated that they never did and said it sounded like perhaps some young kids knocking as the knocks were not loud or sounded heavy. So light knocks.
0: Right, they're kind of like knock knock but knocks. like knock-knock-ditch. Yeah, know?
1: yeah. There were times in which we would hear a little girl laughing. Oh. Mind you, there is no little girl living in the building at that time.
0: Oh, no. See, yeah. look, I've investigated a lot of places, but... Little kid ghosts and little kid laughter is creepy.
1: Yeah, and I'm pretty sure you've heard me say, like, I don't fuck around with kid ghosts. They yeah, creep me out. Yeah, no.
0: And if, if any of you watched the last uh, Ghost Encounter show episode on YouTube of the Perry Mansion, I do capture EVPs of a child laughing. And when I first heard that playing it back, I had chills.
1: Yeah. So I got chills from reading this because, like I said, she's in tune. I feel like she's, like, just in tune with dark energy in general. Yeah. I did have dreams of a little girl, and I'm not sure if one did die inside, but I do know that one did in our housing building. Oh. Like a person. Um, a guy hanged himself in the basement. Jeez. I personally never went down there, but we lived in this building for eight years, and with time, we got used to all the noise. So, oh, accepting God, just the Just
0: getting used to it. Wow.
1: Yeah, You so know that, that
0: a little girl died story. there. You know that guy hanged himself. That's nuts.
1: Yeah. So her second little short story that she sent in was quote My father knew a guy who murdered his family.
0: Oh you know <laughs> her her like I, I like her little like titles to these yeah. to these stories. Like it I really told, sets you up.
1: Like I told you, she didn't send it into the email. She gave me a piece of paper because English is not her first language, She can. she's bilingual, speaks other languages, and for her, I guess typing doesn't translate in her mind the way that she needs it to, so she has to write to understand what she's gotcha. trying to say in English. So, um, like, she can speak English, but writing English is hard for her, I guess. So, how she starts this is, I can't remember the town where this happened, but we did pass the house often. So my father was friends with this guy who would go on to murder his wife and child, got drunk, stabbed them, placed them in garbage bags after chopping them into pieces. Wow. The story goes that you could see shadows passing through the windows. The building wasn't knocked down since they lived up at the top floor. Instead, they just keep it empty
0: after the murders. They didn't knock it down? They just keep the top floor empty?
1: And. Look at little old Daisy just going up to see the freaking shadows out there, like.
0: Oh my god. But I think
1: it's crazy that like that stuff, but that's not out of the norm for her. Like when she talks to me, it's like she is basically like, yeah, um, my dad knew a guy that murdered his family. Oh yeah, I live behind a funeral home. That's like crazy. you know like she's it's just, just like so, so used to it. Yeah, like I don't know if she's gonna include this in her next because this is only part one. She's giving me another part, and she went on a vacation to somewhere and she went into a church she was fine she went into a church and as soon as she got in the church she coughed she sneezed she like it was almost as if she was allergic to being there Mm -hmm. and as soon as she left the church she was fine
0: that's weird
1: so it's almost like i don't know if she is got some negativity like attached to her she me and her joke all the time we say that we're (laughs) cursed so she's just in tune like i said with this negativity and Dark shit. <laughs> yeah. But she's awesome. She's great. And Daisy, thank you for your stories. Thank you very much. And I can't wait for part two.
0: For everyone else listening, uh, don't forget to send in your spooky fan stories, message us, or please send them to the email stories at gmail.com.
1: We definitely want to hear your feedback on anything, yes. whether it's critiquing the way we do things, what like pointers if you think we need to improve on certain things. Um, obviously I would love to hear any sort of story you have whether it's paranormal or not if it's mm-hmm. a true crime story and you have some weird shit that happened to you yeah. and you feel like you want to tell us that you want us to share it with the world let me know I would love to learn and hear
0: yeah, what you so would say. I. so would I exactly and uh, if you're listening and you like the podcast please give us five stars on whatever platform you are listening from it would really really help us out
1: and share us on social media so other people can find us too if you enjoy it
0: Exactly. Share it with your friends, text them, share it on social, whatever you can do. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Stay spooky.
1: Dasvidanya.